0: Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Justin Bryan. Justin is a mental health advocate, transformational coach, inspirational speaker, and author. And his book is called, it's an Amazon bestselling book called Chasing Shadows, Fighting the Monster Within. This is such an incredible episode, and I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to share Justin's story here with you. He There's so many titles that are in front of his name, but he also talks about his 16-year battle with alcohol misuse, a 10-year battle with drug misuse. After being diagnosed with clinical depression, anxiety, and ADHD, he became suicidal for six years and almost lost his life. But sitting alone one day in his basement suite, he remembers his why, to live and checks himself into a hospital on January 4th, 2019. Since then, he has been over for almost five years. Clean and Sober, and now coaches people in transformation while traveling to speak on important topics such as mental health, substance use, resiliency, inclusion, and choices. This is such a deep episode. And when, again, I said, I'm so grateful that I'm able to have these conversations and bring them to you. We talked about like finding your why and making it your how. That why will anchor you in, in times when you are not sure what your next step is or how to move forward. And we tie it back into the story of which wolf are you going to feed, right? We always get to choose. Do we feed the wolf that is angry, judgmental, criticism, comparison, shaming, blaming ourselves? Or do we feed the one of where we want to go, the direction of how we want to live our life? Joy, gratitude, whatever that is, the opposite of what the one wolf is. But whatever one you feed is the one that gets to survive. And he openly and very vulnerably shared his story here, his journey with mental health addiction, how he came to the point of deciding to share his story and help so many people in the process, as well as sharing that he has spoken to sixth graders all the way up to um, men in mills and having people reach out to him who are in their 70s saying, thank you. I've never told a soul. That's the point of sharing our vulnerable stories is being able to create this level of freedom and knowing that you're not alone in what you are struggling through. And I am so grateful to be able to share this episode with you. Justin's book is called Chasing Shadows, Fighting the Monster Within, and I cannot wait to read it. Justin, I'm thrilled to have you here.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me today.
0: My pleasure. So you are a mental health advocate. There's uh, so many different parts to your story that I definitely want to dive into. I would love it if you would share with the audience who you are today and the work that you do that you love.
1: Uh, so my name is Justin Bryan. I'm a mental health advocate. I'm an inspirational speaker, a transformational coach, and the author of the best Amazon best selling book, Chasing Shadows, Fighting the Monster Within. What I do is I go around to schools, businesses, and organizations, and I speak on the power of your mental health and how if you ignore it, it may lead to things like substance use. However, I teach tangible takeaways, tools, and strategies on how to work on your mental health. And I really highlight the importance of asking for help because asking for help is a sign of strength, and not weakness. But I also talk about that one thing that we all share as human beings, and that is choices. And we, as people have the power to choose, that we will be presented with a lot of choices and decisions we have to make throughout our life. And those decisions can either make or break us and follow us throughout our lives. I like to say, I heard a quote one time that says, Life is the C between B and D. In that, between birth and death, you have a choice. And so I like to highlight those and really talk about them and really get people to really look at and view the choices that they make so they can make smarter ones so that the future them can thank themselves for it. And I also coach people in transformation, taking, you know, looking at their self-learning beliefs. What do they want to change in their lives? What do they want to be, do or have the, the typical coach and listen and try to change their perspective and really, you know, get on a really healthy routine and. Develop that self-confidence so they can become who they want to be.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned there that um, how can a person who's listening to this, how do you know if your mental health is in a space that you maybe require help, require support, or should ask for help?
1: Well, there's a lot of signs and symptoms of struggle with mental health. And uh, you know, some of those symptoms could be isolation. You're withdrawing from people you know we may be saying no to the things that you love you're not finding may not be finding joy in them as well that can be something you know the things that you love you stop doing but then you start isolating you start saying no to people start stop going to you know maybe some groups or team functions or family gatherings so you really start to isolate in yourself in your room that is one of the things that i like to do As I stayed in my basement suite and I isolated from people. I didn't want to be around them, but I was lonely, Mm. but I only wanted to be alone. So isolation is one of them. Like I said, losing interest in the things that you love to do. You just, you find no joy. You find no happiness in them. Um, Maybe they start to feel like a burden. Maybe they start to feel difficult doing the things that you love. Um, Anger, irritability, you know, emotional change can be Mm. signs and symptoms that you're struggling. You find yourself getting angry a lot easier. Uh, you can't control your emotions and when you do struggle with your mental health you're going to have a hard time regulating those emotions you can go through a plethora of different emotions you can get mad you can get sad you can get angry confused you can get lonely depressed and if it gets gets bad enough you can get start to get suicidal and you know I was suicidal for six years and it really took a toll on my life and I'm very very grateful to still be here very lucky too a little bit of luck mm-hmm. but um there's there's a lot of things that you can start to do that you can really start to notice it's little changes it could be your sleeping habits it could be your eating habits you're eating too much you're not even eating enough constantly tired you know people don't realize that when your brain's running all day that's still taking up a lot of your energy i i i think i read somewhere it says 25 percent of your sugars sugar levels go to your brain so your brain's constantly working and constantly fighting each other you know your internal dialogues fighting it's negative It's it's the chitter-chatter of, you know, I'm not enough or you're a failure or stuff like that, that's still taking up a lot of your energy and a lot of people will get guilt and shame. And that guilt and shame comes from their calling themselves lazy. You're not lazy. Instead of asking yourself, why am I so lazy? It's like, why am I so tired? Why am I constantly tired? And that can be sign of depression but then there's that other things you know guilt and shame and there's a difference between guilt and shame and as guilt is you did something bad but shame is you are bad and when you get into that negative mindset you start to suffer with your depression with your mental health you start to blame yourselves for a lot of things and then that shame creeps in and then you label yourself and you know all, all these things can really take your toll on its mental health but there's a there's a lot of things that you that you can look out for
0: that's really helpful. Thank you for that. Because it makes me think of, I don't even know, it's a line in a movie at once that it's impossible to be thinking all of those things at once. And it it's true though, like we're in this space that if you can really, when we quiet down, our minds are going like crazy. And I just finished Matthew Perry's book, which was very mm-hmm. difficult to listen to, but I'm glad that I did. And one of the things he talks about is like, if you could see the inside of his brain, you would see how it never stops. It's literally this constant, constant, constant spiral of not enough, not good enough. You know, the stories you're telling yourself, the guilt, the shame, the blame, all of these pieces. And you can see how it's almost that sometimes it's, how do I quiet that? Like you can see how Substance abuse can come into play or become a perfect storm when a person is really struggling with their mental health.
1: Yeah, I actually I listen to that. I I read a lot of audible books.
0: Same. same. <laughs>
1: um, and I, I I love the ones that are read by the author. Yeah. Uh, and he he just he's a good actor. He he's good with voices. He's a good communicator. He's a good storyteller. Yep. And listening to his book was hard. And I actually like to listen to books while I'm working out at the gym. <laughs> I like to call it my learning girl, but his book, as soon as it uh as soon as it came out, I had to I had to prepare myself for it because I knew there would be a lot of overlap yeah. on it. And, you know, every time I do a podcast, and especially if I do it with someone that struggle with substance use, it's just like our our stories are so similar and people don't realize that is you know. World Health Organization says one out of eight people struggle with mental illness. And that's a billion people in this world. And our struggles are so similar, yet we feel so alone. And my story is, it's a lot like his. I wasn't the famous actor, but, you know, I was girl chasing. I was, didn't think I was enough. I was using alcohol for confidence and I started using drugs and my buddy said I was funny. And I was like, OK, so at 24 years old, I did drugs for the first. Well, sorry, I smoked weed at 21, but I didn't really count that back then. <laughs> um, I just but I did cocaine and I, and I I counted that definitely as a drug. And as at 24, and my buddy said it was funny. And then I was like, OK, well, I can be funny with, by using drugs. I can have confidence by drinking like I got Michael's special juice from Space Jam. One shot of this, and one shot of that. And I'm super Justin. But there's a lot of overlap and I've never met someone that misuses substances that isn't chasing something that's looking for, you know, connection or relief or a pill of their pain, right? It's a way to solve a problem in that you can get instant gratification, instant relief when you have that. I remember looking over, I had a glass of wine beside me and I was sitting on my bed no, I was sitting on a couch by myself. I had a glass of wine and I had drugs next to that. And I just, I felt this overwhelming feeling of gratitude. I felt comfort just knowing that I had these two things beside me. And were, they were like best friends, like friends,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, like friends. And, uh, you know, when you get into that zone, it's it's hard to get out of it because why would I give that up? Why would I want to give that up? That's instant relief. This is what gives me this is what makes me happy. And so listening to his book, it uh it opened up a lot of uh old feelings, old emotions, and really made me feel uncomfortable in a lot of things because I'm I'm up five almost five years clean now, but those memories aren't aren't far off. Um I can still I was in an addiction for sixteen years as drinking and ten years for drugs. And I can still walk down the road and notice something like I still live in the town that I grew up in, but I mean, I, I did move away and I kind of lived the gypsy life kind of chasing bartending job for bartending job. Cause I, you know, just ruined that one by drinking on the job or coming in drunk. And, uh, but I can still have those, those emotional triggers that just come up out of nowhere. So, you know, even though I'm five years out of it, you know, you still feel it and I still actually get using dreams, um, to really? This day, yeah.
0: Okay, that's wow. I don't think anyone's ever shared that on this show. So, using dream is that a dream of something that happened, or you are dreaming that you are using again? Like that
1: a- you are using again, and those those aren't good. Those are nightmares.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, sure.
1: I've gotten a little better. It's you can feel the disappointment. It's so weird. It's you're so disappointed, but by the end of it, I'm usually telling myself wake up it's a dream this is a dream this isn't real and then i have and then i wake up and i'm like oh i won't even drink a more than a point zero beer not Mm -hmm. a point zero five it's just i'm weird like that but it's that the sobriety days built up that you don't want to break like that's a that's a that's a promise that's a non-negotiable it's a promise to yourself and when you're dreaming that and you think you broke it that's that's devastating almost
0: I I can't even imagine that. And I think that our subconscious mind is always going and it remembers everything. And it's like where everything lives and the, those emotions are there. And, you know, who knows why that comes up for you. And I'm sure that stirs up a lot. And at the same time, is this like, look at how far I've come and look at what I've done. And so I can't. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. When we're in this space and you said so you spent 16 years dealing with addiction. Is that with alcohol? And then yeah, it's
1: with alcohol. Yeah. And with drugs.
0: So 24 being the first time. And you can almost see how you know somebody says, Oh, you take this and now you're funny. And it creates this almost this positive loop of okay, well then this is what I'll do. Were you, if you can look back at that and just for sharing in, again, I'm not going to spend the time referring to his book, but the one thing Matthew Perry said, and I've heard many guests say this, that he felt so different the first time he used, he felt like it was the solution that he had been chasing. Like that was the feeling. And he said, I knew I was different because everyone else around me was fine having a few drinks. Me, if I, as soon as I had the first one, the rest was a write-off. That's the direction that it would go. So your being your first experience of drugs at like 24, how did it go from there? Like was it a gradual change or was a, did it did the addictive experience happen very quickly?
1: Oh right off it happened very I graduated from drug or from alcohol use to drug use is what I tell people. Now I was a bartender in Vancouver. So I lived right downtown I lived in the nightlife. I worked till 2 a.m um yeah. But you meet so many different kinds of people and you meet good people and you meet people that do other things. And so I could get it whenever I wanted. Mm -hmm. Right. So I would actually get off work and I go out and I would drink a little bit and then I'd phone up, dial a bottle, have more alcohol waiting for me when I got home. But then they could also drop something else off for you at the same time. So I ended up using by myself, basically, you know, two or three nights a week. But I was drinking every night, Um, but I was doing it by myself and then I, d- I realized that like, okay, this makes me, brings me out of my comfort zone, right? So I'd have an algorithm of how many drinks I would have before I left my house. Sometimes I'd have this like a mini Mickey and then I'd make me comfortable to go to my friend's house to even talk to them. I get to the bar and if I was getting uncomfortable, I'd be like, okay, we'll I have to have a couple more shots and then okay really uncomfortable okay well i got to do some drugs and then all of a sudden boom i would do cocaine and then chatty cathy would come out and i'd be uh, this confident person walking around and i would dance i would talk i would have fun and then all of a sudden you don't have fun if you don't have that stuff that's the story that you tell yourself and the stories you tell yourself is what you start to believe and so i built up this mindset and this belief this deep seated belief that i needed drugs and i needed alcohol to to be the person that i i loved and i thought other people enjoyed but at 24 years old when i knew i was addicted to drugs or well when i i asked myself a question because a bartender came up to me one day and he said justin do you think you drink too much and i told him no but then i was walking across the Canby street bridge that night after i went out and uh a thought ran through my head it says justin do you drink too much I said, there's no way I drink too much, you know, I'm young. I like to have fun. I'm in this big, beautiful city. There's no way. And then all of a sudden this thought rings through my head again. It says, Justin, are you an alcoholic? Well, I had a warm feeling rush up through my body and I actually said this word for word. there's no way I'm an alcoholic. I go to work, I pay my bills. I'm too smart, and I'm not a low life. And, uh, like I said, I graduated that year from alcohol abuse to drug abuse and really took its toll and I went on that path again for 10 more years before I finally made the change. But at 24, I knew. Mm -hmm. And I believe, this is my personal opinion, that people are more aware, self-aware than they give themselves credit for. And people don't like to be self-aware because once you admit it, once the first time that you admit something's wrong or something's real or what your truth is, that means you have to change it. And that's the hardest part is the change but also i guess there's another hard part and that's like the acceptance of it acceptance of that hey you know i'm an alcoholic hey i i abuse drugs or hey i'm depressed but i knew at 24 deep down i was denying it but i knew at 24 deep down i was i was misusing drugs and alcohol and it wasn't until 28 years old you know moving around and going through some scary situations in my life that you would find in my book and being very fortunate to be here i finally admitted to myself justin you know you use drugs and alcohol you know what, justin you struggle with your mental health but at that time you know my suicidal thoughts creeped in and it uh it was definitely it was a battle you know with those thoughts and you know going sober for one two three nine months and then having a buddy overdose best friend of mine overdose and then went right back down that rabbit hole again and you know, waking up one day and, you know, there's a knife in my bed and a blood in my sheets. And, you know, I looked down and my, my my wrist was cut and I don't remember doing it. And I'm very fortunate to be here. and, But it was a lot of my, you know, a lot of uh, battles, a lot of internal, internal fights, I guess, where I knew what I should be doing. And I just I couldn't do it because I didn't know what to do sober. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, you know what? Thank you for your honesty and directness with this, because I think this is just such a powerful story that is very important to share. And the piece that you talked about is that like, I love that, that I do believe that people are more self-aware than what they want to give themselves credit for. They be able to accept that self-awareness because then we have to change it. And sometimes it's like, we don't know what to change, but we just know our way isn't working. Like, it's like knowing that this is not working, but I don't know what to do next. Where were some of the turning points for you where change started to solidify? And it was like, no, this is not how this is going to go.
1: Well, I know I, I actually started working out when I was around 28 years old, I think. And I started listening to motivational speaking. I mean, this took a lot. But all these motivational speakers like Trent Shelton, Inky Johnson, Eric Thomas, and Les Brown. I had no idea who those guys were back then. I definitely know who they are now. But yeah. they, start, they they talked about finding your why. So I started to ask myself questions. You know, Throughout my life, I asked myself questions. Why do you drink? Are you an alcoholic? Why do you drink? Mm-hmm. Um, and what is your why was one of them. And uh, so I got together with this girl. And we were on and off again, but my drinking was ultimately, you know, it was out of control. We broke up. But we kept in touch. And then one day she came and says, justin we need to talk. And uh so we met up and she's like, I'm pregnant. Like, now you don't have to be in this baby's life. I don't expect you to. You don't need to, but I'm having it. And I was like, there's no way I'm not gonna be in this child's life. Mm-hmm. So we ended up getting back together and um i end up crashing a car and so i'm like okay you know what i have to go to rehab because i was drinking and driving so i go to rehab and then i get out and you know we have our we have our son one month later and that two months later i start hitting the bottle hard again and then six months after that she picks up my son and you know walks out walks out of my life and i don't blame her she uh i was in no place to have a kid around right and so i had to watch my world walk out that door And then the suicidal thoughts started to get deeper. But then I started to remember, find your why, find your why. So eventually, you know, I had to, I started looking at that little boy again. And, you know, I started to think, you know, instead of ending it so he can have a better dad, why don't I get better for him so I can become that dad? If I get better for him, I get better for me. And if I get better for me, I can actually help other people. So I started to make him my anchor and make him my why. And, you know, I like to tell people that, you know, they, you got to do it for yourself. But if you can't, you got to find a why, grab a hold of it, and take it with you everywhere. Because here's the thing about the why. Is if you find a why to do it, it will always come back on you. I got better for him. I essentially got better for me. So I like to tell people, find your why, base your decisions around that why. And then you figure out the how. So with that, I made it my why. And then my first decision was to go back to rehab again for the second time. But this time, I went back to the rehab and went the power of Why? So instead of quitting the substance, I went with, why do I drink? Because I'm depressed. Well, why am I depressed? Because I didn't, because I have low self-esteem, low self-worth, and low self-confidence that I that I had growing up as a kid that was ultimately replaced with drugs and alcohol. And says, so, well, why do I have that? And it's because I didn't learn how to deal with my operating system, my mental health. So what's the how? Well, in rehab, they teach you the how. Uh, They teach you gratitude, you know, starting your day and ending your day off with things that you're grateful for in your life is scientifically proven to rewire the neuroplasticity and the connections you have in your brain, as long as it's done consistently. Journaling, you know, getting those thoughts out of your head is half the battle. Diet and exercise, how there's a direct correlation between your gut health and your mental health and, you know, working out or walk, run, yoga, my grandfather, pickleball. um, You know, releasing those happy chemicals, those reward chemicals, those in your body that, you know, make you happy, like your endorphins, your serotonin, and your dopamine. But we also learned about the power of acceptance and forgiveness. And that's one of the biggest things that people can learn in their life, I believe, is the biggest thing. I learned it in rehab and I learned it in life coaching as well Is the power of acceptance and forgiveness on how it's actually for you. Now, when it comes to acceptance, there are going to be things in your life that happen to you. There's going to be people that hurt you there. You may lose the loved one or you may go through an experience that you don't like. But the first thing that you have to do is you have to accept it. Now that doesn't mean you have to like it, but you have to accept it so you can forgive it. And you have to forgive it so you can move on. Now, if it's somebody that hurts you, the cool thing about the forgiveness piece is that you don't have to forgive them to their face, but you have to forgive them for you so you can stop living your past and you can start to create your future. And now one of the hardest things to do though, for a lot of probably substance users is they're gonna have to accept what they did you know the past that they had the people that they've hurt the person that they were and then forgive themselves because they're not that person anymore and that hey we all make mistakes so we learn the power of acceptance and forgiveness and you know, I took a lot of howls out of, uh, out of rehab and I came out strong. I was sober for three months and then I hit that the pink cloud again and it all came crashing down. And then finally, two months after that, uh, I found myself sitting in my basement suite alone, you know, looking at photos of my son, looking at his, looking at his toys in the corner, his hockey sticks on the ground. And he was, would have been two or three at that point, three, I think. And I was like, man, Justin, you got two choices here. You can either end it or you can get help. And on that day, I I phoned my mom and I said, mom, you need to take me to the hospital. So she took me to the hospital. And uh, on January 4th, 2019, I finally said out loud in front of my dad, my mom and a counselor that I had, if I was going to continue to feel the way that I did, that I had a plan. And that plan was to end it. And ever since that day, I'm coming up on five years sober. I'm back together with the mother of my children now we have another baby girl mm-hmm. and me. uh she doesn't listen to me <laughs> i just had to throw that in there um i don't think she ever will but it's okay she's the little princess um another baby girl and i'd be was able to write a book go back to school speak in front of like everywhere from grade six to people that are 70 years old and really try to Give them some hope, some inspiration, some knowledge and wisdom, and let them know that they don't have to be their past, that their diagnoses don't define them, that they can create whatever version of themselves they want to create. But it comes down with their choices. You know, it comes down to the beliefs they have about themselves and the actions that they choose to take from those beliefs. And that's kind of, you know, how how I... got to where I am today, and very fortunate and grateful to be here.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing everything that you did there. And I just, there's, there's so many nuggets and so much power in the words that you're saying. And really, you know, if, if you don't, whatever stories we're telling ourselves about ourselves, that's what we believe. And that's what our beliefs then stem from. And the beliefs then become like what we say yes and no to how we show up for what we believe we deserve all of that work is so incredibly powerful. And I think that I'm I'm just imagining having you speak in front of you know so many different age demographics, I think is really powerful because these are the topics that people don't like to talk about. These are the pops, mm-hmm. these are the topics that people don't like to put their hand up and say, Yes, I've struggled with that. But I can say firsthand, I mean, I we always joke about it being like six degrees of separation. It's not, it's not, it's like one, two degrees max. Everyone I talk to, there's somebody in their life, it's them, somebody personal, somebody direct connected. And they're like, oh my God, nobody's talking about this. So I think of people that you're having an impact with who have spent most of their life hiding this story, whether it's them directly or somebody personally in their lives. And you're opening up these conversations for, you know, let's let's talk about this because, the more we can do this and normalize it then shame goes down right we can stop mm-hmm. feeding shame where was the point if i can ask cuz it's one thing to put your sobriety as a priority and take care of you and it's another to take your story to the level that you've done it that which i think is fantastic i love when people do this but mm-hmm. what made you say i think i'm meant to do something with this
1: 2 weeks out of the hospital I spoke at a school for troubled teens, and looking over their faces, I was like, "Wow, this is this is really powerful." Yeah, like, and I want it. I want to change that. So I don't want people to ever feel like me. I remember one of the worst feelings I've ever had in my life was um, not wanting my son to be like me. It's like here I'm bringing in this this child into the world, and the thing that I'm scared of. I said, he's going to be like his father. You know, you, you think that you would want your kid to be like you. It's like, yeah, I'm bringing my kid to be like, like me. I bring this kid in this world. I want him to be like me. I want him to accomplish everything I have accomplished. And then I'm like, what have I accomplished? I'm a professional drinker with a drug problem. I can't keep a job. I can't keep a girlfriend. I, you know, I, I'm suicidal. I'm depressed. I'm sad. I live in a basement with tinfoil on my windows. It's like... Why would I want him to be like me? And then I found that I can change that. Right. I can I can help others see that. I can help others realize that, you know, drugs and alcohol don't love you. They are an escape. Um and that if you're struggling, ask for help because it's so hard to do it alone and you don't have to because when you start when you try to do something alone there's so many things that you're going to miss like could you build a house by yourself maybe be pretty hard and it would take you a very long time to put up all those walls to make up braces so you could pull that wall up but what if you built a house with one other person you know, and they helped you lift those pieces, whatever's heavy to get it up there that filled in the gaps of the stuff that you couldn't do. So I get to show people that now, and I've lived quite the life where I, you know, I've played junior hockey, I've managed restaurants, I've worked up north in the patch, I've worked in mills um, that I can relate to a lot of people. Like I can speak at schools, I could, I, I got the opportunity to speak at, you know, three different mills. And that was tough because I'm in there with 90, probably 8% males that work in the factory part mm-hmm. and uh, within arm's distance talking about crying, talking about suicide, talking about depression, talking about drug use. And that, that was tough, but it it's good because you know a lot of those guys don't open up. They, we just don't. We live by the man up stigma that, well, be better tomorrow but they don't realize that you know 75% of suicides are men now here's this that is a stat what they don't but i mean that doesn't mean that men try more than women Mm -hmm. it's just unfortunately and this is a weird way of saying it's they're more successful i was just
0: saying more successful
1: yeah and it's it's a really weird way to say successful um unfortunately but uh it's because maybe a lot of them feel like they, I know for me personally, I kept calling myself a loser. You're pathetic. You're a failure. Man up, Justin. Like those people aren't struggling. Why are you struggling? You're weak. When, And then I, I was slowly killing myself just by my words and my actions and my unwillingness to be vulnerable. But I found being vulnerable it has saved my life. It's brought so much greatness into it and uh very fortunate to have what I have by just speaking out but I've been able to speak to all these different kind of organizations and people because of the crazy life I've lived of being a gypsy and and doing a lot of things but you know I'm lucky to be able to do that Mm -hmm.
0: your your story I can I could just picture you speaking in a mill And, um, I think we also have, I, I would love to say, I think it's better than what it used to be, but I don't know. Is it we, there's a lot of pressure in men not being able to share these experiences, the emotions, the feelings, and by you going into an environment like that and sharing in the way that you are, you are normalizing that it's okay to feel certain things. And I think that in itself is really powerful because that is not something that the message is being given to boys and to men. And I think that, like, I I think that's incredible. I really do. Because I've been saying for um, a number of years, it's been six years since I published my book and shared my story. I have been in a space where I see so many women who are out sharing stories, sharing vulnerable stories. But I Mm -hmm. kept feeling like we need more men. We have got to have more men out here sharing. And it has to feel safe. For them to be vulnerable to do that. And mm-hmm. that's going to come from men doing this. I actually heard Lewis House speak um, probably five years ago. And he mm-hmm. spoke at a women's event. There were 600 women. And he talked. And I actually was able to go up and meet him directly afterwards. And I was telling him a little bit about my story. And I remember him saying that we need, like, I know most women think that they're speaking for other women. But he said, a lot of your moms, you have boys, we need you to start to have these conversations, because we need to normalize things for boys to make it okay for them to feel their emotions and to do these things. So I've just been so drawn to seeing in the last couple of years, and I actually get to work with a couple of men who are putting their stories out there to share. And I think there's so much power in it. And there's a big demand for it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and w- one day, my son he wants to come see me speak. He's only he's turning eight this Friday, but he, he's not ready for it. Um, I don't usually speak to anything under grade eight. Yeah. Um, although I've spoke to grade six, seven class in Vancouver at, in the downtown east side, mm-hmm. because you know they get it. Unfortunately, um, and that, that, that's tough. It's one of the toughest parts of speaking is when a, a kid comes up and says you just explain my mom, you just explained my dad, or I lost my mom or dad to addiction overdose. And they, then just, they give you a hug and you're just like, geez, that that's, that's tough. But I know my kid is going to read my book and he'll probably, probably I'll let him read it when he's 12. Um, He's smart. He's a pretty smart kid. He's pretty self-aware. He's pretty emotional. Like he can, he can get in connection with his feelings and, we let him know that it's okay to feel you're mad good sad good feel it let it out
0: yeah. what
1: are you don't hide from those emotions <laughs> except for the times where you know he takes his little scooter to the skate park and falls and you could tell he wants to cry because it hurts so bad and he's biting his bottom lip then I'm like okay that's that's okay well, you know that's fine <laughs> but if it's an emotional thing of a feeling instead of like you know having a, a having a boo-boo <laughs> i'm like mm-hmm. feel it allow it to come but don't be afraid to um cry in front of a man you know i uh, i did a podcast last week i forget if it was last week or two weeks ago and i cried on it and that was the first time i ever cried on a podcast and then she cried up and i told her my eyes were sweaty and she didn't believe me but you know a guy who was on my Facebook. He puts out, you know, he's like, okay, calling all alpha men and stuff like that. And he's like, do you think it's okay to cry? And I said, yes. And he said, he's like, you're a rare treasure. He's like, thank you for sharing. And I shared that I cried on the podcast, but he, you know, he's well, this guy that says he's an alpha man, but he, he says it's it's okay to cry as well. Right. And so it's, it's good to see that, you know, some of these, you know, they call themselves alpha men. They're saying that it's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. Right, I don't really look at that term alpha man. I don't, I don't, I actually don't know what that is, personally. <laughs> going
0: to ask that actually, I was going to ask it. It's yeah, and I think it's this whole. I, I, I immediately take it to mean like alpha strong, like strong. Mm-hmm. But I think vulnerability is incredibly strong. I think sharing yeah. your emotions is incredibly strong.
1: Mm-hmm. So but, I
0: guess we have different definitions.
1: It was a good thing to see what he said, right? And I, you know, I, I think some of them look at it like. You know, being an alpha man is is like taking responsibility for yourself, yeah. saying sorry, opening up, mm-hmm. speak it, don't hide it. You know, that's you know, that's, to me is I guess maybe that definition, but it was really cool to see because I was wondering what his response would be. But I was like, I'm putting this, and he said, "You're a rare treasure," and I was like, "Well, oh, wasn't what I expected, but thank you." See? So it was good to see that, and I think I think it's getting more accepted these days, right? And you know, being crying is. Crying is crying. It's okay to cry. doesn't mean you're weak.
0: It does not. It It does not. It means you're human. Yeah. And feeling those feelings is like, now we're back to the beginnings. We were talking about this piece of not running away from your emotions, not running away from trauma and pain and not avoiding it. Right. Like allowing yourself to feel it because I was reading something just last week and it talked about that the emotions that we feel. So when we feel an emotion We actually only feel it physiologically for 90 seconds. Past 90 seconds, we are now feeding. We've attached a story to it. And so if we can allow ourselves to feel it and let it move through us, then we're not making it mean something about us. It's when it stays and we push it or avoid it is now the feelings are still here because we're not processing it. And so now we have no choice but to attach a meaning to it. And the meaning is always like I suck or something is wrong with me. And so it's amazing what those emotions can do to us, like physiologically, when we don't allow ourselves to process them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there's that uh, quote, um, which have you ever heard? it? Which wolf do you feed?
0: I love that one. The two, yes. the the um, Aboriginal story with the yes. wolves, right? One is greed, anger frustration all those pieces and one is joy and the boy asks like which one do which one wins and he says whatever one you feed and that I yeah. I, I come back to that one so many times because I love that
1: message yeah I actually I have it in my book just it's it's because it's so true and it's like okay I feel like drinking or I feel like staying sober or which which need am I gonna fill the need to feel comfort joy happiness right away? or in the need to be uncomfortable and feel love and connection with my true self. Right. As, but then there's, is that greed there's, you know, that's it's which wolf are you feeding? And um, yeah, it's, it's a great quote.
0: It is. It's a great quote. Speaking of your book. So chasing, chasing shadows, did you have a hard time coming up with the name? Cause I love the name. I absolutely love the name. Did it land <laughs> on you right away?
1: No, it actually was going to be finding happiness at the bottom of the bottle. Mm. Because I found it twice, right? I found it when I drank the bottle. Oh, yeah, I feel great. But then after my last drink at the bottom of the bottle, when I put it away, Mm. I found different happiness, real happiness. So it's going to be finding happiness at the bottom of the bottle. And then I was like, I don't know um I asked a few people and they weren't they weren't like super high on it I'm like you know what about chasing shadows so because I chased meaning through a lot of things I have a a lot of a lot of addictions you know I had you know social media addiction I had you know pornography addiction I had Mm -hmm. drugs alcohol sugar um tv I had tons you know sometimes I'd go in that shopping mode Buy buy a bunch of stuff to feel better about myself. I was searching for love and connection through anything I could get. Anything. And uh so I was chasing shadows because are you ever gonna catch a shadow? (laughs) No, not a chance. So by chasing all those things, I was really gaining nothing. Yeah, I was gaining less self-respect. I was gaining a smaller bank account, I was gaining less connection with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um you know, a, a rundown relationship with my son, you know, empty jobs. So and then I realized that we all have a monster. Every single one of us have that monster that's inside. Just some of us feed it like the wolf, some of us become friends with it, some of us heal it, right? And some of us talk to it, have a relationship with it. And it's when you have the relationship with that monster, and you know. Because it's it, it might not never go away, but it's, you know, acknowledging that it's there, talking with it and trying to work through it together.
0: That was so good. I'm just sitting here listening to that and thinking, you know, the parts of us that we resist and we fight, we keep them alive. But if we can see it and acknowledge it, you know, recognize that it's there, stop resisting it. And get curious. Like I often say that, like those some those like lacked out harsh feelings or beliefs that we have about ourselves. I don't necessarily think they go away. I think you build a different relationship with them and you get better at seeing them and recognizing them and responding to them. I think it's this expectation that. You know, as I do more work on myself, I will never have a living, limiting belief or a doubt again. And it's like, no, that's, that is not true. I don't think that sets you up for success, but building a different relationship with it, as you just shared, yeah, I love that. I think that's incredibly powerful.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, yeah, the more you resist, persist, right?
0: Oh, it does. The longer
1: you, you run from the monster, the longer you run from your truth, you know, it's, it's going to catch you mm-hmm. <laughs> eventually, like, you know, when, you know as a man you run from your feelings how's it going to catch you you can you can be successful all you want but it's going to come out in your emotions you're going to be shorter you're going to be more irritable and you're that's going to be carried to your family Mm -hmm. and when I when I first got sober I went back to work I got back together with my family so after six months of being sober and they just say don't do anything for sick. They, they tell you to not do anything for a year, a full year, don't make any huge decisions after after getting out of rehab. So I went to school to work, back here with my family and all of a sudden I'm around people 24 hours a day when I was used to being alone. But I was so focused on not going backwards that I started to become you know irritable and burnt out because I was chasing success and success in the wrong areas that I wasn't fun to be around, even though I accomplished a lot. What is success? Success isn't things. It's not money. Success is self-respect. Success is, you know, having the love from the people around you. That's success to me, but I was, I was uh, just trying to, make up for such lost time 16 years of living in the dark in the shadows I was trying to make up for it too fast and then I started to ignore my feelings again what was really going on with me and not being you know hundred percent truthful to how I felt that I started to become you know that emotionally angry person for a little bit there and you know I started to distance myself from my family and that and that's what can happen if If you, if you want to live by the man up or if you're chasing something like things and money and, you know, worth that, uh, you're going to, you're going to start to lose a lot more than what you gain.
0: So it's so interesting what you just said there, because whether you're chasing the shadows or you're chasing success, whenever you're in the chasing mode, that is not necessarily going to bring the best out in you. And you know, we all know, like, we have to be able to be in a space of being grateful for where we are, what we have right now today. And I mean, I'm curious, what practices, you've mentioned a few, but what practices have made the most difference for you in supporting you on a daily basis?
1: Um, Listening to podcasts of guys like me, you know what they how they struggle and what they did to get better but also listen to their vulnerability and listen to them speak their truth and be real like hey i struggled with this but now i'm doing this mm-hmm. um the gym the gym has been one of my biggest antidepressants ever Um, uh, it just makes me feel good there and i like to listen to books and motivational speaking and all that kind of stuff um being able to coach my kid in, in sports is is fun and you know um gratitude, reminding myself what I'm grateful for. And just, it's just being around, you know, the people that, that support me and encourage me and uplift me. It's, it's, it's a big help.
0: Yeah. There's so many different things that you can layer on. And as you're saying, like, you just, you have to practice, do give feedback, see what feels good, and then just keep making those things a priority. You're speaking in so many different, and you, you shared a couple there, but I was going to, I did want to ask you like some of your most impactful speaking talks, that you have given do you have a story that you want to share
1: so there was a time where you know I didn't think I was going to see my son scores for school in hockey I honestly didn't think I was going to make it and I talk about that in my speech and I talk about how my girlfriend left me and at the end of my speech I say because I asked for help I was able to get back together with the mother of my children who's now my wife and then all of a sudden school just erupts oh. like Cause it was a grade eight to 12. So there's like 500 kids, 600 kids in the gym and they just erupt. And then I'm like, and I got to see my son and I tap the, the puck of his first school. Cause a, a hockey dad actually brought it to me at work. And I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is tails for school. And, um, and then I say, and I got to see my son scores for school in hockey. And all of a sudden they erupt again. And that was probably one of the coolest, uh, coolest experiences I've ever had as a, as a speaker. Was was that, um, you know, being being hugged by kids because, you know, they're in pain is, you know, when they get a little bit of relief from that hug is is pretty cool. Um, but speaking at Mills uh, and or like in the trays, I've spoke as well. Having a guy come up to you and say thank you is like an older guy too, like in his 40s, his 50s. And, you know, I've had him in their 20s. Come and shake your hand and, and like and be vulnerable with you. That's a really empowering feeling because not a lot of them do that. Mm -mm. And it takes a lot of courage to open up to another man because you don't know if it's going to be reciprocated. You don't know if it's, if they're going to judge you, right? You don't know if they're, what they're thinking, but a lot of it's what you're thinking about yourself, but that that's pretty cool as well.
0: Yeah. I think that you, I'm guessing that you have set up, an environment where it's very safe for them to feel vulnerable to share, right? This is a piece we want, we all wanna say, yes, let's open it up and allow people to be vulnerable. Let's open it up so men can share more of their emotions, more of their experiences, but we have to allow them to feel safe to do so. And I'm guessing that you've, because of the work that you're doing, you're making it. So I don't say normal, but it's normal and okay for men to share their experiences. And it's very interesting. Because it makes me think uh, my father-in-law is 80. He's going to be 81. I wouldn't know it. Um, truck driver, his whole life, like rough around the edges, the conversations that he and I get into sometimes even my husband's like, wow, like, wow, I can't even believe dad talks like that. I'm like, but I ask him questions and I I'm open to having it. And it creates this space where it's safe for him to ask and say what he's thinking. And it's amazing because I think that that can be at any age, right? Some people will say, "No, mm-hmm. no, it's like they're too old and they're not going to change." I don't agree with that. I think that there is room for anybody to open up and allow themselves to be seen and heard and be vulnerable. And I think that that's probably what you're doing is because of that. You're uh, you're normalizing having these kinds of conversations.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I you know I think a lot of it is I'm I'm a six foot three, two hundred thirty five pound, physically fit guy with tattoos. <laughs> uh you wouldn't expect to you know come up in a hockey player right yeah. to come up hey i cry hey i'm i'm going to be emotionally damaged <laughs> so i don't i'm not that guy that usually would w- people would expect right and so I, I i try to stand up there i try to stand tall and i try to be proud and i try to talk about the highs i try to talk i i definitely talk about the lows and i talk about my truth and this is my reality this was my reality and i i tell them still i still get depressed i can get sad and i can get lonely and i can get confused and i can still get angry but i also taught myself a lot of coping mechanisms and i also have a counselor that if i get knocked down and i can't get myself back up i reach out my hand and let him grab it mm-hmm.
0: thank you for sharing that i was going to ask you that is what do you do when you still have days that feel challenging yeah
1: yeah, it's definitely to talk about it. Um be open. And, and you know, if if I feel like I need a counselor, I go see my counselor. It's just that simple.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. So what is up next for you? So as you are you continuing like you're doing regular speaking engagements, etc. and working with clients?
1: Yeah, I have coaching clients um going to a school this week. Uh, I got a couple junior A hockey teams next week and uh yeah just getting in schools trying to get into i just spoke at the ronald mcdonald house in vancouver um that's good we actually for the birth of our daughter we spent six months there
0: i saw that in your notes and i was gonna ask you about that period of time so how old is she now
1: she's two so this happened i I got tested a lot out of sobriety (laughs) um you know a lot of loss and uh living in the Ronald McDonald's for six months and the, for the birth of our daughter was, you know, I was, it was a trying time as well, but she's healthy now. Uh, and she's had a bunch of surgeries, but she's doing, she's doing good. And, um, yeah, as I was fortunate to go back, back to, we we were allowed to go back as a family, as we could speak to the owner operators of the McDonald's and just allow them to step into what it was like to be there. Right. Cause they're not all there, but they're, they're its own. And, portion of their proceeds or whatever from the restaurants go to that so they got to hear a story and we got to say how grateful we were for that organization that that amazing building and that's like a five minute walk from the bc children's hospital so we got to go there as well and you know just trying to trying to stay busy and stay positive as much as i can but even when you get negative don't try to throw a positive thing onto it. It's just like, hey, okay, why am I negative? How can I, you know, sit with this? How can I heal with it? How can I acknowledge it? And, I mean, you can, there's, you can be over positive and that doesn't help, right? Because then you're kind of ignoring the, the, the major problem. But
0: I love that you said that because I still think that there's still this conception that if you just say the affirmations and write the gratitudes, that, that can fix it. And yes, gratitude Important, But if your mindset is like, it's just tanked, and you're in such a low spot, when you're trying to do the gratitude, there's just this disconnect, it doesn't feel real. And so again, it's okay to feel those feelings and be able to, you know, not just paint it with a positive to push and move through it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I saw that with your daughter. And I mean, like, when you think about, you said January 4th, 2019 was when you, Mm -hmm. so in the last four and a half, almost five years, you have gone through tremendous challenges on top of, you know, working on your own sobriety, now sharing a story, getting it out in the world, speaking, doing all these things. Like, do you sit back and look at how, like, I cannot believe what we've walked through in the last five years?
1: Sometimes it's like, how did I come this far? Because like we've had, you know, we've lost three in four years, babies, before we had this one. And then she actually passed, she flatlined for two minutes and they had to bring her back. And so that happened in four years, all of that. And then I, the one person I wanted to read my book was my grandfather and he passed away right at about a month before I was able to publish it but i got to read them the part to him that i wrote about him so that was pretty cool and uh yeah it's been quite the journey just and to look back and be like holy cow people actually read my book because you know it's not just an autobiography it's there's questions at the end of every chapter and it's broken up into three parts of during alcohol after alcohol and learning lessons because i do have three different life coaching certifications and I put what I've learned every, like there's it's chock full of learning lessons. It makes you think Mm -hmm. there is the type of addictions, you know, the um, what mental health is and all that kind of stuff to, to get you to have thought provoking questions to, Hey, maybe I need to make a change. And it doesn't just have to be that you're struggling with your mental health. It can be any sort of change. There's questions to the actual chapter on making change um that has like uh, maybe six or eight questions that you can ask yourself in a row of whether the changes that you need to make but to sometimes i have to sit back and be like holy cow justin you have done a lot because sometimes you you know you don't feel like you've done a lot but i (laughs) it's you know it's it's gone through a lot of ups and downs and you know you just take it day by day just what sobriety is Mm -hmm. it's minute by minute hour by hour day by day week by week month by month year by year and uh One of the biggest things is uh, I had lost a cousin to an addiction or to an overdose. And one of the things is is accepting that life happens. Uh, Accepting that there are things that are outside of your control. Doesn't mean that you have to like them, like I said before. But life doesn't care if you're down. People do. A lot of people do. But life doesn't. Right? And so it may... It may hit you when you're down. And I found myself asking, why me? Why me? Why me? Uh, Because I started to get suicidal again when I was at the Ronald McDonald House. And I knew they were just feelings, though. I made sure I talked about them. Um, And I've come to terms with I had them for so long and they were so real for me that I will get them from time to time. But I sit with them uh, and I know I won't act on them. But... I kept asking myself, "Why me? Why me? Why me?" And then I'm like, "Why not me?" Like it it can go the same way with success. When you have, um, like, why would they give me that job? Well, why not you, right? It's the same thing with things that are going to happen to you that are outside your control that you don't like. Why won't why Why won't they happen to me? What do you think? Because you've had this many losses that you know life is going to give you a break. Like they're going to be like, "Okay, well, you know, I'm going to miraculously make this person better because your life isn't going well." And I think coming to terms with that, um, knowing that, Hey, you know, life has to continue on and sometimes it's going to be good, but sometimes it's going to be bad is, is really helped because I have had a lot of blessings happen to me. I am still here. And there's only one thing that separates me from my cousin, my best friend, the overdose. And that was one bad bag. That's it. Like I'm lucky to be here. And, uh, So I've had a lot of blessings. I've had a lot of good things happen to me in my life and just have to remember the good times and try to deal with the bad times and see how where life takes you.
0: Yeah. One step at a time, as you just shared one step at a time, that's so powerful. Seriously. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared. I said to you earlier, I went through, um, Amazon and some of the reviews it's, there's so much there about your book as people are sharing And it hits with so many people because I just think this is such an important topic to be sharing and putting it out there. And you're normalizing that this happens. Like this happens to so many of us. So I thank you for the work that you're doing and everything that you continue to do. I will make sure everything is in the show notes. Where's the best place for people to connect, follow and learn more about the work that you do?
1: Uh, You can connect with me on Instagram at at Justin Bryan 19. That's J U S T I N B R I E N 19. Um, you can email me, Justin at JustinBryan.com. You can go to my website, www.justinBryan.com. You can go to my order my book from there. It's on Amazon, it's on Indigo, it's on chapters, it's on 39,000 different retailers. Um, But uh, yeah, you can find me anywhere. Uh, DM me if you like this podcast episode let me know what you thought if you have any questions i'd love to hear from you or email me let me know how it was and um i'm really grateful to be on the show today
0: oh i'm so grateful to have had you i have one more question and it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for
1: you can turn your lessons into blessings
0: i love how sometimes when i ask this question people stop and think forever and some people are like nope there's my answer right away and i love it You can turn your lessons into blessings, lessons into blessings. Yes. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being here, for doing the work that you're doing and for sharing your story with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of own your choices Own your life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful until next time. Remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.